Proverbs chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, there's one probably underneath your seat there. You could follow along. Because God's Word is, is very important. And I titled this message this morning, God, Me, and My Bible. You see, because it's simply that simple. God, me, and my Bible. That's, uh, I really, really have to understand that this is God's wisdom and I have to value it because it's, it's for me. Uh, this is God-given wisdom. And God has given us a Bible so that it would bless me. And that's where God, God wants me. So before we get there, let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you. Uh, for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the work of your spirit, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives, Lord. Father, I thank you that your word is so simple that we could understand it as we look at it, Lord. May you open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, and minister to us. Father, do speak to us in a way that's inward, that it'll have an eternal effect on our morals and our destination eternal destination lord so do a work of your spirit in our hearts and our lives lord we ask that you bless this holy word that you've given to your children may you do a great work of your spirit with it in our hearts we love you we thank you we praise you for it in jesus name we pray amen all right we're going to read the the second chapter and follow along The Bible says, my son, receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness justice, equity, and every good path. When, when, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked. Whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their path. To deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death. And her path to the dead. None who go to her return. Nor do they regain the path of life. So that you may walk in the way of goodness. And keep to the path of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land. And the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth. And the unfaithful will be uprooted from it so this is god's word god me and my bible this is this is what we read about this morning but this morning we we really have to understand god and to form of our idea of who god is god gave us his word this is how we get to know god through his word uh it's not my own ideas but god is a relational god as we see here in the first uh chapter first verse God is a relational and a communicating God. God wants to have a relationship with you, and God also wants to communicate with you. And He does so through His Word. It's very important. But the very first two words we see here in the text, He says, My Son, this is all for you. 
my son, this wisdom, all this guidance and everything I have for you is because you are my sons. Well, how do I become a son or daughter? Because not everyone is a son or daughter. A lot of people believe we're all God's children. We are all God's creation, but in a sense of being a spiritual family, we must be born into it, the Bible says. Jesus says you must be born again. No one will be going see the kingdom of God if he is not born again. So what makes me a son? What makes me a recipient of all these treasures, all these promises, all these blessings that God has for us? Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. See, I have to receive him to be born again so that I could have these true and precious promises. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, we have a a theme through the whole Bible that we are sinners and even our heart condemns us. We know right from wrong. When we do wrong, we know we've done wrong. We have a conscience. God has given us a conscience. And our conscience tells us that we're wrong. And, and when we do moral, something that's morally wrong, that was the word sin. And sin simply means missing the mark. Missing the mark of a moral standard. And that moral standard is perfection. And we all miss the standard of moral perfection. And we've all sinned, the Bible teaches, from Genesis to Revelations. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short. And therefore, sin always has a consequence. And sin's consequence, since we are sinners, we are unacceptable. That's why we cannot go to heaven by our own moral goodness or anything good in us, our good works. We cannot go to heaven based upon those things. That w- that's r- the reason why we need a Savior. And 2,000 years ago, God himself put on hand skin like a hand puts on a glove, lived a perfect life. And he was tortured on your behalf because of your sin and my sin. Your sin and my sin was placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And he died for my sin because I am unaccepted. But because his the wrath intended for my sin was placed on Christ. If I repent and I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a savior, his perfect righteousness, God's perfect righteousness is put to my account And in him, I've become a new creation and acceptable. And I have new life because of him. And I get to go to heaven because of a free gift in which he has given. And he's given me that to be an heir. I could I'm a son or a daughter because I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That's simple. That's the good news. And he says here to you, if you're a child of God. In these first verses, if you receive my words, my son, if or my daughter, if you receive my words, treasure them, treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. Seek. If you seek her as silver and you search for her as for hidden treasures. But he says to his sons and daughters, if you, if you, there's a condition there. If you, number one, receive my words. Number two, do I treasure my commands? Number three, incline your ears to my wisdom. Number four, apply your heart to understanding. Number five, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice. And number six, if you seek her like silver and you search for her as for hidden treasures. So I got to, when I was studying this, I had to ask myself, do I? Do I? Do I, number one, do I seek Or do I receive my father's word? Do I receive it? 
Is it available to me or is it some distance from me? Do I treasure God's word within me? This is God's word. Do I treasure it within me? That's what God says. Treasure it within me. I had to ask myself that question. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, to the church, the Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In all wisdom. I have to ask myself that question. Do, is, is the word of God richly in me? Or is it distant from me and then just in the pages of the book? I need to be in the word of God. Number two, am I attentive here? Am I attentive to hearing God's word? Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. My faith increases as I'm attentive to it. Number three, and most importantly, am I applying God's word to my life. You see, I could listen to it. It could be on my table. I could be a son. But am I applying the word of my father to my life? Am I putting this into practice? Church, if we're sons and daughters, God expects us to put this into practice. It should be uh, lived out in our lives. It should be seen in how I act. How I react, my attitude, my walk, and the way I talk. And this is on a, a continually, uh, a continual daily basis. It, it's got to be part of me. And you know what? Will I blow it? Absolutely. And this will show me I blow it. But that's why I come to Him for the work of His Spirit in me. So I, so I got to ask myself, do I call out? Number four, do I call out for God's wisdom? Because here he says, cry out, call out for discernment and wisdom and understanding. Do I cry out to my father for his wisdom, for her discernment, for an understanding heart? You see, because God beckons us as his children to come to him. Listen to Jeremiah 33, 3. It says, God says, Call to me, speaking to his children, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things in which you do not know. But you see, he's beckoning us to call, call, call out to me, cry out to me. I'll give you understanding. I'll give you discernment. You know, the psalmist too um, recognize that need. And, and I recognize that too in my life. I need God's wisdom on a daily basis. I, I, I need God. I need wisdom. I need discernment. I need all that God has for me. And the psalmist too recognize his own need for God to do a supernatural work in his life, to open up his eyes, so to speak, so that he could gain a heart of understanding. And that's where we should be as his children. I should recognize my need. And that's my need. I'm needy. Because God has everything that I need and he wants to give it to me. But I simply have to cry out. I have to call out to him. And I love Psalms 119 verse 18. The psalmist recognized too in his heart. He said, and his prayer was, open my eyes that I may see wondrous works from your law. And from Psalms 119, man, we have one of the most beautiful psalms ever written but fifthly twice here in the text in these first few verses he mentions a monetary value first speaking of that which is in you treasure my word within you he's telling his sons and daughters treasure my word in you but here in the second mention of the word treasure uh it, it speaks of seeking out God's guidance as, as a valuable treasure that's still out there. That's something that I still need to, uh, to pursue, like hidden treasure, like nuggets out there. I need to have an attitude or approach towards God's word that I need to go out and get it. I need to receive it. And I really, as Christians, as believers... We need the word of God daily. How do I know this? Jesus himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's Matthew 4, 4. 
He speaks to it as, as food. How, much, how many times do we eat a day? We eat three meals, you know. And, and two, we should be, as Christians, as sons and daughters, we should be in the Word of God feeding our spiritual souls. So having a pro, that approach, that attitude towards God and His Holy wor- Word, verse 5 through 8 tells us, then you, you know, having this attitude of treasuring and storing up and wanting to seek and crying out for wisdom, crying out for discernment. And then verse 5 says, then you, and I, and I love that. And I put my name right there. Then you, Tony, then you, put your name there. You're a son or daughter, put your name there. Then you, it says, will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and uh, preserves the way of His saints. So number one, reverence. I have to have reverence. I have to have, that word fear is not a fear of power. It's a fear. It's in a sense of I'm coming to God in a reverential way because reverence here is a pathway that leads to deep knowledge with God. Reverence is a deep leads to a deep knowledge in God. How do I know this? The scriptures tells us. The scripture tells us in James chapter 4 and verse 6 and also 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5 that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let me say that again. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble comes to him and comes and says, I need you. I need all that you have for me. I need your wisdom, your guidance. He understands he, that necessity, that need in his life, that void that only God can have. But the proud says, I don't need that. And you know what God will say? You don't need that. That's fine. God resists the proud. Go for it. Go on living without me. That's okay. But really, truly me, I I need God's wisdom. I need God's wisdom. Our father is here in the text. He says he's the giver of wisdom. And what greater source there isn't than God. There is no greater source of wisdom than God. You see, God's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the things that are going to happen before it happens. The Bible is written uh, over uh, 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And it is 100% accurately, accurately, morally, historically, prophetically, and theologically. You know, thousands of years before it happened, he said these things were going to happen, and they happened in great detail. So I could trust God's word. He's omniscient. He knows all things. So we as his sons and daughters should come to him because he knows what tomorrow brings for us. So he's giving us his wisdom so that we could gain a heart of understanding so that we will be well prepared for tomorrow, for this afternoon, for my future. So God is he's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's aware of all things. And he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He, he can help me through all things and with all things. My sons and daughters. And he's given us his wisdom. You see, God's wisdom isn't in a isn't a mystical or subjective in a sense that I'm, I'm going to hear uh, spiritual voices inside my heads or promptings or feelings or I'm feeling compelled uh, by some some way or another. But verse 6 says, God, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes understanding. And I, I really have to understand the source of God's wisdom is in his word. He says from his mouth comes wisdom. You see, the problem today with modern Christianity and people who call themselves spiritual, they feel to they, they have a feeling or they're compelled to do some kind of spiritual things. 
And these things might be contrary to what the Bible teaches. That is not from God. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 through 17, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration from God. And that word inspiration simply means God breathed. God breathed these words for us. And they're profitable for us. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instructions. So that we, His sons and daughters, would be complete, thoroughly equipped to handle things. To handle things. So if I'm feeling compelled spiritually to do something... I always have to use, as a child of God, I always have to use the Word of God as my gauge of, of truth and what is right and what is wrong. You see, the Scriptures, the Bible, is the source where I get God's wisdom. I'm not going to find it out in the trees. or in, I'm going to get it from the Word. Why? Because God's Word says. I, have to, I could trust God. So scripture is a source where where the sons and daughters get God's wisdom. And the number fourth principle here is the Bible says he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. In other words, this is is a treasure. His wisdom is, is like a treasure that's laid up, that's laid up for you. But your lives here, it says for the upright. And that simply means being in unison with his ways. You see, he's not going to give it to you if you're not in tune with him. I have to get right with him. He says in the fifth point here in these first in these second verses here, it says he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. So he'll provide wisdom for me. He'll protect me. He'll give me guidance. He gives me wisdom. And then here he says, I'll be a shield to you. Your father says he'll be a shield to you. To those who walk in unison with his ways. That's why I want to live and I want to walk by by his ways. And that's why we see a problem in Christianity. Because so many uh, so many have left the word of God and fallen into error. But here he says he's a shield to those who walk uprightly. Again, he promises to be a shield and defense to those who walk in unison with his ways. And number six, in verse eight, he says he guards the path of justice and he preserves the way of his saints. So he he protects us. He's a shield. He guards us and he'll preserve us. He preserves his saints. And I love that. And the word saint simply refers to his faithful ones, not his perfect ones, because we're not perfect. Thank God. But it says a saint is just one who's faithful and is set apart for his by his word and for his word, living for his word. So all these uh, promises are for those who are set apart for him. But look at verse nine here again. It says, then you. Then you, I love it, then you, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path when wisdom, God's wisdom, enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul. So there's something inwardly taking place there. Discretion, it says, will preserve you and understanding will keep you. Again, we have a a promise. Then you will understand. So my heart needs to be right. My life has to be in unison with God's word. And then he says, then you will understand. See, it's a byproduct. So number one, where it speaks of righteousness here, uh, righteousness is always, when God speaks of righteousness, it's always in in accordance with God's word. It's his standard. Number two, justice uh, according to God's standard. What is morally acceptable? What is the standard of right and wrong? And then here he mentions equity and every good path, and that simply speaks of an evenness or a straightness according to God. In other words, God God's way is the only way. God's way is the only way. But 
we've come to a crossroads in our in our culture. We have like almost a culture war going on today. Morals. Moral morals is has changed over the last, I would say, 10 years in a major way. You see, our society is changing. No longer what people believe was moral 10, 15 years ago is it's embraced as more moral now. And we have a problem. We're at a crossroads of what is moral. What is right? What is acceptable in our culture? We have almost a a culture clash. Because we have groups breaking off. You see, 10, 15 years ago, uh, 20 years ago, although we are not perfect society, we have had a culture shift. A culture shift. And we see it very clear. The things that we see today, we couldn't imagine 10 years ago. And, and the things that we will see in the next couple years, man, it's, it's going to get out there. We're, we're, we're going to say, wow, I can't believe the things that are going on. And the problem is, 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 is you, culture is broken up in three different categories a theonomous culture, a people who get their morals and standards from God, their ethics from God, a theonomous culture. And that's, that's pretty much the church. We get our morals, our ethics of what is right and wrong from God, from this, from His Word. And we were the predominant predominant moral compass in in the in the world in our in our country but we had a culture shift we almost even had a shift in the church as well the church is shifting in morals the churches parts of the church are no longer believing in the moral standard of god of right and wrong we're embracing what is called a heteronymous culture a heteronymous culture is a culture that get its, gets its views, its influence, uh, its morals by the elites, the, uh, the politicians. So we, we have almost a culture class. So number one, the theonomous culture is a culture that gets its influence, its morals, and its directions from God. A heteronymous culture is a culture that's, that gets its influence and its directions from social elites like the media and celebrities and politicians. They're saying this is right and this is wrong. And the culture is yielding that way. Our culture is no longer being influenced by God and a moral standard of the church because it's not our moral standard, it's God's moral standard. Our culture is headed into a a, uh, heteronymous culture where it gets its influence and directions from Social elites in the media and celebrities and politicians, they're saying what is right and wrong. So we have a conflict. The church says, hey, this is right. And the world says, no, this is right. Well, the church says this is right because we're influencing and get our morals from God. But we can't expect them to believe what we believe because they don't. God is not their God. See, Man tells them what is right and wrong. And then you have another part of culture is an autonomous culture. It's a me-driven culture. And we see that in the book of Judges after the the children of Israel left left Egypt and they were coming into the land. And then we entered into the time of the Judges and it said everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. In other words, every man is a law to themselves. My morals are here. So when God's morals are here, it's better for a society. The Bible says that. But man's morals, we have a shift. And then we have an autonomous culture where, where, where autonomy takes over. And I'm a law to myself is, is this is my right and this is, my, this is wrong. What my right is right and you're wrong, they're different, that's okay. Well, you know what? It, 
we have to understand that morality, wherever, if, if it's my own morality, if I'm coming up with my own morality, or a heteronomous culture where I'm getting my morality from the world, or a, or a theonomous culture, I'm going to have to answer to God when, it, when it's all over. So you see, we are subject to Him and His moral standards, whether we like it or not. You see, innate in us, we know right from wrong. We know right from wrong. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. You see, we're going to have to stand before the moral law giver on the day of judgment. And the, the big question as sons and daughters is where do we stand when it comes to our standard of morality? Is God our standard or is the world the standard? Or am I make, am I, do I make my own standard? You see, that's where we have a, a class where, you know, talk about abortion. Okay, the, the heteronomous culture says it's okay. Because that's the way they view things. A theonomous culture is those who believe in God. We get our morals and our, uh, of right and wrong from God. And in the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, the Bible says that man was created in his likeness after his image. So that's why we value life as precious. That's why in the law, in Leviticus, it tells us that if two men were fighting and the wife's there, and then the wife gets injured and the baby dies... that that's a capital offense, life for life. That's why we view it as life, the baby in the womb. Because God, we get our morals and our standards from God. And we're going to have to answer to God on the day of judgment for that. But the heteronymous culture too, uh, they might believe different. They, they believe it's, it's not life. So who's right? Man or God? And, and you know what? I'm going to have to answer to that on the day of judgment, and so will they. So the big question is, who, are, who is our standard? And when it comes to the church, God has to always be our standard as sons and daughters. Or is it the social elites, the culture? Or do I set my own standards of morality? You see, I have to gauge my life myself by god's word by the bible and by living it out am i but i have to ask the question am i leaving god out of the equation but here moving on to verse 12 uh his word god's word rightly applied to the the son or daughter's life we will have benefits god promises that we will have benefits he says here to deliver you from the way of evil from the man who perver uh, speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Verse 14, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are cro crooked and who are devious in their path. So the word of God delivers that word delivers here implies a snatching away. This word deliver here implies a snatching away in a sense as of God wants to rescue you. God, your father wants to rescue you. And he says here to deliver you from the way of evil. God wants to deliver you from the way of evil. But I have to understand his word. I have to retain it. I want to treasure it. I want to come humbly before him. And I want to receive his wisdom. And his, he says his word will deliver us from the way of evil. Secondly, it will deliver you from those who speak perverse things. Speaking of those who want to defraud you or to deceive you. You see, even from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3... We have an enemy who is very deceptive. And we're in compared to him, we're very gullible. So Jesus said that the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy, and he will do it by deceit. 
So God's word will uh, give us that wisdom to rescue us, to save us from plunder or from disaster, eternal disaster. Number three, to deliver you from those who, wa- who once walked in the path of righteousness. Now this is very interesting, to deliver you from those who once walked in the path of righteousness, but have wandered off. You see, God warns here that they pose a risk to you by being an influencing factor that will lead you away from the Lord. Those who have gone away, they could be an influencing factor to bring you and draw you away from the Lord. This ain't my word, this is God's word. Do I, should I pray for people who have gone? Absolutely. Should I be concerned with them absolutely as a child of god it breaks my heart when i see people backslide but they can be an influencing factor to draw you away from the lord so that's why we have to be very careful so being guided by god's word promises to deliver you from those who would subtly prompt you to go off course with god and it isn't hard to go off course with god i i know i went off course for 14 years I wasn't in the word of God. I wasn't praying. I was having fellowship and with bad company and bad company corrupts good fruit. And man, I was on my way for 14 years. And uh, so this warning is, is very important. But here in verse 16 through 19, it turns from those outward areas of your life of, of being careful uh, or or being harmful to you, to the inner area of your life. In an area here too, within each believer, son or daughter, we must apply the word of God to be our moral compass internally. You see, because a lot of the problems that we face or we succumb to as sons and daughters of God start here in the mind. I have to guard my mind. I have to guard my eyes. I have to guard my heart. Why? Because Jeremiah, God speaking through Jeremiah, says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? God knows it. So God expects me or encourages me to guard my heart, to watch my eyes, to protect my mind. How? By the renewing of it. And we see that in, 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 in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So... Being guided by God's word, it says to deliver you from the immoral woman, verse 16, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her word, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Wow. Who forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her and her path to the dead and none who go to her return nor do they regain the path of life. So here, being guided by God's word promises to deliver us from those inward desires. I need to be be protected from those inward desires here and here in my heart, in my mind. So number one, it's warning, the, the Bible here warns us so that we can know what kind of relationships are contrary to his standards. See, God has a standard of a relationship. Don't be unequally yoked because he knows you're going to suffer. See, God has a, a great prescription for a great marriage. You know, we have this incredible book of prophecy, a united message that tells us from Genesis to Revelations that we're sinners and we need a savior. It answers the biggest question like why we wear clothes, why there's seven days in the week. You know, it, it has history to back up its truth and it's powerful. It's changed lives. This word of God, the Bible, and it's changed culture, the way we value women, the way we treat people, how we value life. It's an amazing book. And in the second chapter, it gives us, God gives us a great prescription on marriage. That's how much he values a relationship, that it should be severant, permanent, intimate, intimate and a united uh, relationship founded on love mutual love but here god warns us of a kind of relationship that can do you damage 
And number two, he's warning you so that you are guarded, that God, because God, God knows. God wants us to be guarded in the area of intimacy because God knows that you will succumb to being seduced to do something immoral, according to God. God knows. So God warns. So He warns you ahead of time. Watch your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. And in here in the text, He says, be careful of flattery. Oh man, I, I wish you were, I wish my husband was like you, more understanding. Oh, you're so great. I wish my wife was like you, man. You never complain. The enemy knows what you will, will set you off. Flattery, be careful. It's in here. Why is it in here? Because God knows. God knows. Be careful of flattery. Flattery will, will lead you down a, a, a dark path. So here the Bible's warning also here not to follow immature impulses. She, you know, here it says she, she left the, uh, the companion of her youth. You know, when I was a youth, man, I was companion all over the place. <laughs> I had a bunch of companions. But, you know, God has one person for you, one very special person. And when you trust God and you give God your all, and he will give you the wisdom, the love, everything you need in that relationship. The grass isn't greener on the other side. It's where you water it. And so be careful of immature impulses. You know, we're 50, you know, I think of David. He was well into his 50s and he he sinned with Bathsheba. So, it, it, you know, one of the, the, the ideas is when you get older, uh, you know, uh, you don't have uh, those impulses anymore. No, they, you do and you succumb to flattery. So we have to be careful. Both men and women can be seduced. Okay, we have to be careful of those inner impulses. So fifthly, the fifth warning here is, is, is don't stray in your heart from God because of a relationship. Okay, a relationship can take you away from God. We see this in the scriptures here. But God's word is warning you because he doesn't want us, you to suffer the consequences of immorality. You see, because all immoral acts will have consequences. Sin has consequences, whether they are temporal or eternal. If I don't get right in this life, I will have to suffer in the next life for it. But in verse 20 through 22, it sums it all up. Because God wants you to walk and he wants to bless you. It says, then you, then you. And in verse 20, it says, so that you may walk in the way of goodness. Man, I want, God wants you to walk in the way of goodness. God wants to bless you as your father. That's why he's giving us his instructions. So that you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. His paths. His paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will retain it. But, he says, but, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. And, you know, it just gives me that picture of Jesus, you know, separating sheep from goats. And then, you know, he, he's, he, he speaks of a, a parable where he throws the sticks in the bundle. You know, I just think of being uprooted and being cast into the fire. You know, so that that's not what God wants for his children. So that's why God gives us his word and his warning. And that's why we as his children should value it. But you see that word there, wicked. A lot of people think that word wicked is, you know, they got horns. Ooh, scary, ooh, wicked. That's that, that word wicked doesn't. It's, it's not portrayed like that. That word wicked simply means one is one who is guilty. One is guilt, uh, gu guilty, guilty of a crime or being hostile to God. You see, a lot of times, even Christians, we don't think sin is, a, is some sins are bad. All sins are bad. All sins are bad. You see, a lot of times we, we think 
It's okay to, and then we justify certain sins. You see, if what I'm doing isn't according to God's word, I could justify it all I want, but I'm still going to have to give an account for it. Let me, I, let me give you the example, just lying. Is lying bad? Yeah, lying's bad. Does lying have consequences? Lying has consequences. It's the, it's the ninth commandment. It's the moral law given by God. Lying has consequences. If you lie to your daughter, if I lie to my daughter, there's consequences. I'm showing her bad behavior. She's not going to trust me no more. There's consequences. God knows. If I lie to my wife, there's greater consequences, right? <laughs> right? I'm on the couch, right? Now, no dinner. I get the cold shoulder, right? Right? If I lie to my wife, there's greater consequences. If I lie to Pastor Joe, there's greater consequences, right? I could lose my job. It's the same commandment. Don't lie. If I, if I lie and cheat on my taxes, I could get thrown in jail, right? So you see, it's the same moral law. And when I break it, I'm missing the mark. I'm sinning. I'm sinning, I'm offending a person. And the consequences of offense of the person I'm offending, so is the greater of the punishment. But when we lie, we're lying to God who's all good and he's eternal. That's why the consequences for sin are eternal and so bad because the one whom I'm offending. So I have to understand See, God has given us a great example here, and God doesn't want us to succumb to our sin. He want, he doesn't, if we're in sin, He wants us to get right. And we can. We can be forgiven. By grace, we have been saved through faith, that not of ourselves, the gift of God. I have to recognize I ha- I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. But I also got to recognize I need help in certain areas of my life as a Christian. I have to understand I have moral shortcomings. And, and the Word of God shows me that I have moral shortcomings. I have short ideas. I, I have my own values where I put them up here and God's Word's down here. But when I read God's Word, it puts a good perspective of where I'm at. And I fall short. And I need God's help. But you see, God's Word, as I went up in that scale of, of consequences... God's word will also benefit you and when you apply it in your relationship with your family. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that we should we should teach our children about God and morals and that's our responsibility as parents. That our our relationships with our our wives and and our and your husbands should be we should gain our wisdom from this. Why? Your your marriage is going to be better off from it. I should, uh, even God's word instructs us that this is important for how I work, how I study, how I'm a student, a a, a steward of what God has given me. If I apply the principles that God has given to me as a son or daughter, it's going to, I'm going to benefit from those things. And also with my relationship with my wife and, and society as well. Society will be affected by my relationship with, with God. You see, Jesus taught his disciples for three and a half years. He taught them well. They were good students, but we look through the gospels, they weren't perfect. And I and I thank the Lord for that, that they weren't perfect. They're just like me and you. But Jesus told them before he ascended in Acts chapter one and verse eight. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Then you, then you, sons and daughters, then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and power to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, he says, I, I've inst- he'll instruct you, but he'll also empower you. Empower you to be a witness, to live out this, in your Jerusalem, which is your home, in your home, in your church, in your, in, in your, that's your Jerusalem, in your Judea, your workplace, your places of influence, 
your Samaria, those, those places of difficulties, those difficult people in your life, those people who don't rub, who rub you wrong. You know, God will help you even in those difficult areas. And then he says, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's why, you know, I love God's word. And we as sons and daughters should love God's word. But we need to pray for the work of God's spirit in our lives to live out his word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. It's true, Lord. Father, may be our standard of right and wrong, Lord. May we be sons and daughters who gain wisdom and knowledge from you. May we treasure it. Lord, do a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you that we come to you as sons and daughters. But Father, I thank you, Lord, that for the work of your Spirit, you prompt us even when we're not sons and daughters. Your word says that you convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. Father, I pray, Lord, for a work of your spirit this morning if if we're not right with you this morning that you would innately do that work in each of our hearts that we would recognize our, our need for that we're that fact that we are sinners that we miss the mark but also, Father, that you would do a work of your Spirit to show us for our need of a Savior. That this morning we would call out to you. We would call out to you for salvation, to rescue us. So as the worship team plays, and if you're out there and, and the Lord is doing something in your heart, that's a wonderful thing. If you have a stirring in your heart and you recognize that if you were to die today, that you don't have the confidence and that assurance that you're forgiven of your sins and that you have eternal life as a son and daughter. We pray that this morning that as the Lord is speaking to your heart, as, as you feel that uneasiness, that's the Lord doing that work in your heart. You just have to yield to God. And as the worship team plays, we're going to invite you to the front. You just walk down the aisle and we'll just pray. And you'll ask Christ in your heart to save you. And he will. And all these benefits and promises will be yours because of your position in him. So if the Lord speaks to you this morning, we beckon you to come.